were so close to the ball dropping. And speaking of your balls, do yourself a favor and make sure 2021 doesn't repeat the same bullish that 2020 gave. To do so, take care of your balls. Head over to manscaped.com and use code BLACKMANCRY2 for 20% off your entire order as well as free shipping. Let's get this new year and your balls right. Black Men Cry 2 is an invitation for men of color to feel safe to unpack their hurt and share their truth. This space was created as an invitation for men of color to feel empowered to know it's okay that they can cry too. Listen, y'all, if y'all don't know about Manscaped yet, you bugging. They got all the products from the ball deodorant to the foot spray. They trying to get us right. You know what I'm saying? Women don't like when you funky. So get it right. Cop up on your Manscaped products. And I promise you, your balls will thank you. On this episode of Black Men Cry 2, I'm still chilling in the 215. And to the left of me, I am blessed to sit down with Mr. Will. Will, thank you so much for sitting down. What's up? Kat, thank you for having me. It's, it's an honor to be here. Mm, I appreciate that. Now, per usual, we got to start it off with a shot. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. It is. Cheers. Ooh, that's a good joint. Yeah, it's a strong one, too. It's a good joint. So. Yes. To kick it off, a big focus that we've been seeing this year, and it's sort of like a trend, is our community learning about generational wealth. Yes. Why do you think that's so important for us to learn now as well as at a younger age? Because for many of us, we didn't understand that importance or know what that even meant. Straight up. Um, man, that's a great question. And I think, you know, I, I kind of want to answer it in two ways. I think one, generational wealth is important to think about in, like in general, because right now we're watching a lot of social unrest, right? There's a lot of things happening we could talk about from, you know, the killings of, unfortunately, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. We can talk about just, you know, income inequality. We could talk about mass incarceration. We could talk about all of these things and there's so many more. But for me, I personally believe that a lot of these things are for real, for real, economic issues with social consequences. Right. So I think like what happens to us when we talk about the school to prison pipeline, mm -hmm. right, for example, just to take one of them, that wouldn't look the same if we had the capital and the wealth to be able to actually use our voices, right, to make decisions and then use our economic power to change policy. Right. If we had, you know, folks around us in our communities that had bread, we wouldn't be seeing folks get put out on the street. Right. And then have to figure out how to survive in all these different ways. Mm -hmm. So for real, for I think a lot of the social issues that we see coming are really, you know, a cloak or like the top layer of what happens when you don't have the economic infrastructure. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason I think it's important for folks to talk and think about generational wealth early is because the more I've learned about money, you know, I studied economics, so I got to learn a bit about that in school and then just out here figuring it out, you know, on my own now as a young entrepreneur. Wealth is really a long term game, right? So the earlier you start thinking about it and the earlier you understand what's possible for you, the better. 
right? Like if we talk about, you know, compound interest, you could be putting away money now, right? You're putting away, I don't know, 500 bucks a month, you know, yada, yada, yada for X amount of years, 20, 40, 50 years from now, that little bit of money you feel like right now is turning into hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of dollars because of the, the, the law and the principle of compound interest. So that's why it's important to start early. And I think also if you start early, you can build the habits, right? Because if you never had financial literacy, you never had financial training, you wouldn't realize that certain habits you could build now can just set you up for success later if you're not used to it. So it's like, just get that to be a part of who you are, a way of thinking, yo, ownership is important, a way of thinking right off rip, like I'm gonna make money, I'm gonna invest, and then I'll spend what's left, as opposed to, you know, right, we get out there, make money, spend, and then I'm gonna save what's left. It's like, nah, but you could be more intentional about that. So that's why I think it's important for us to figure it out young, because for real, for real, like, I was talking to a homie recently who was saying like, there's people out here who are having dinner table conversations about wealth and buying property and ownership. And he's like, for real, for real, where I'm from, we don't even have dinner tables. And I was going <laughs> to bring that up in a sense, because it seems like within our community, because we come from a lot of people without having growing up, mm -hmm. that once they have, they want to spend because they want to make up for what they weren't able to have. Straight up. And then they don't realize the buying power that we have and the buying power that we're essentially giving up by just using on material and not investing ahead of time yeah. and then trying to figure it out later. Yeah. And, and you, you hit it on the head. Like that comes from, you know, when you when you go without for so long and you're not used to having it, two things happen. One you have it, you're so excited. So you're like, let me do all the things that I didn't seen people doing when they got it, right? But also it's like, you know, when you're coming up and, and you aspire for more, sometimes people are spending money to look rich right. as opposed to actually spending, you know, and doing the things that are gonna help you actually get rich. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of that. And, and I think the, the, the biggest trap is as you make more money, you just keep up in the lifestyle, right. right? So how is it, you know, that we can figure out all these strategies to build wealth and hold out long enough, you know, on the lifestyle side that we can actually see that, that wealth grow. And then of course, take care of yourself, do the things you need to do, do the things that make you feel good. Just do it. Put the drip in the budget. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so then that drip in the budget. Someone has to that. You got to do that. <laughs> like put it in the budget. So then that way it's not it's not killing you and taking away from the long term goals. Why do you think we weren't taught that coming up? <laughs> How real you want to get about real. this? As real as you want. To All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. The reason we weren't taught that is because the system in the country we live in was predicated on there being haves and have nots. Right. Like mm -hmm. keep it a buck. I had a, a, a OG. I was I was at a panel one time. Her name's Pamela Jolly and brilliant woman. She said, yo, if we're going to be honest about the country we live in, we're the only people in this country who were wealth before there was wealth. Like we literally came over on a boat on a balance sheet. Right. When black people got to this country, we were assets, right? We were literally just a piece of property that could help someone else build and protect their wealth. So for us, building wealth and, and building businesses is honestly, it's not even something I think we should think about as like a nice to have. It's almost like our obligation is to understand that we need to take back that economic power for ourselves. So when we talk about the public school system and we talk about, you know, just schooling in general, they didn't design that for us to come from the lower class and then understand how to overthrow the oppressor. Mm -hmm. They designed that for us to know enough to then be able to work in those factories. You know what I mean? Dollars. 
That's why the bell system is what it is. That's why they teaching you just, oh, memorize and then regurgitate and then it's over. They don't teach us how to critically think. They don't teach us how to, you know, understand property rights. They don't even teach us about taxes. You know what I'm saying? Or even owning a credit card. Right. All these things that allow us to be able to fall into the trap to pay more taxes than what Donald Trump, a billionaire, pays. Right? Like, so that that's the reason. And, and now that we know that, it's important for folks that have had the privilege to get some education to share it. You know what I'm saying? Because for real, for real, success and wealth is a team sport, you know, and it takes that level of group economics for us to be able to do it together. I like how you said that success and wealth is a team sport. Straight up. With that, and when you had mentioned, you know, the fact that we basically built this country and this country is built on our back. Without a doubt. It brings me into the idea of appropriation and mm. culture appropriation. And yeah. that's another heavy topic that we've been talking about a lot recently and calling them out and not letting it be okay. Why do you think culture appropriation is so detrimental to the black community and why do you think we also allow it to happen oh wow that's a that's a really nuanced (laughs) thing right there um there's so many layers to that but i think to answer the second part of that first why we allow it is and i think you know just for anyone you know if we're going to just talk about it, I think the record industry is the best way, the best example, right? Where it's, we create culture. Mm-hmm. Culture is inherently value. As, as black people, as people of color, we literally can create value out of thin air. Out of, use this to then make something that can, you know, become a cultural phenomenon, a song, a dance. A meme. A meme, right? That creates so much value for so many people. But the 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 challenge was always, the people who are creating the culture, us, were not the same people who are responsible for distributing and monetizing and valuing the culture. The right? So with that discrepancy, you know, they made all the money, they told us what it was worth, right? And I think, you know, when I think about some young, like a young kid from Philly who, let's say, wants his whole life to grow up to get the record deal, why would we allow that appropriation? It's like, you're taking somebody who's never had nothing and they've had this goal so it's like when they feel like the, it's so close to taste it and someone offers you a million dollars, it's really hard to turn that up when you turn that, turn that away when you know the situation your mom's in, you know the situation your family's in, and you know that that could be life-changing. You may not know that, oh, they're going to offer me a million, but like Master P said, that means I'm probably worth 40 or 50 million. But you're like, yo, this could change my circumstance right now. And I don't got time to be thinking about next week, next month, holding out. So I think that's why we allow it, because in our minds, it's a necessity. In our minds, we don't know our own value, our own worth. So therefore, we're willing to trade that to someone who's going to write us a bigger check than we've ever seen, you know? Um, But the damage of that is the ownership, right? Like the long-term equity of what that could be you know, years down the road. Mariah Carey still making money off this Christmas every single year, right? Like, that's what it's about. Like, we know what we're hearing. You know what I'm saying? Like, and there's so many other examples. Like, we're watching what Tyler Perry's been able to do because he was willing to take the risk to hold out for long enough to say, this is mine. You know what I mean? And then with that ownership, not only is the money play there, but the control is there. So it's like, when we really own some stuff, then we have a say in how it looks, what the content and the message is, right? Because for real, for real, like the, the recording industry has always been trash when it came to not only the finances, but the messaging, right? There, some people say that like the whole gangster rap era of music was funded by, you know, these ideas to push certain agendas in our communities, right? Just so happens to be at the same time when the crack era is happening, right? So it's like, 
ownership is important because we want to be able to say this is the art we're going to create and we can choose to then create art that uplifts our people you know and and i, I think about this idea a lot just because one i'm a nerd and two I'm, I'm in this intersection of art and economics and th there's a quote that comes up that i think is just so relevant here there's a really great writer his name's august wilson okay. um and he's a, a playwright from pittsburgh oh. and he has this quote and he says there always have and will be two distinct types of art one is art that's designed for the consumption of white people or two art that was designed for the advancement of our people by designing the strategies for survival right and he says those are the only two types of black art there is wow right you're either going to make it for the white masses or you're going to make art that literally designs our survival right the things that bring us joy the things that talk about afro futures and the things that talk about pushing culture forward and you can see right like when you see someone like a six nine right I say, when you see the sellouts mm -hmm. or the ones that stay true and i think of like a j cole and nipsey a kendrick and how they stay behind the message and how it helps us and uplifts us but then you think of certain ones that go mainstream right and those are what they call the the industry plants and where did they come from oh he's an 18 year old kid who doesn't know anything from this place they gave him a bunch of money and now he's talking about the destruction of our bodies what what a coincidence <laughs> right but yeah that, so that's how i feel about that i liked how you kept saying this particular word create mm. and you know it's a word that i live by it's a word i have tattooed nice. and it sort of goes into this space that mm -hmm. has been created by you Word. that we're sitting in. Word. If you could talk a little bit about why it was important for you to open up Rec Philly. Yeah. Um, so the, the idea of Rec is really to challenge a lot of these things we've been talking about, right? Like, you know, back in 2012, 2013, I grew up navigating the, the industry here in Philadelphia, you know, playing this like pseudo management role for a lot of my recording artist friends and trying to figure out how we could like help them win through their art. And um, I realized that one, there's this narrative for a city like Philly where like, if I wanna be successful, I gotta go to the New York yeah. or the LA, right? You have to leave the city to make it. Right, or Atlanta these days. Um, as if like you move to these cities and your music gets hotter. Like, mm -hmm. no, that's not how it works, right? But I think the actual idea is like, there's people there that can help me monetize, right? Where maybe here it's different. Um, but the reality is with the internet now, we all have the tools to build an audience, right? Build an audience of people who believe what we believe, engage them and monetize direct to consumer, right? The people who love what I make, I can connect with them and sell it. Um, so for me, Rec was this idea of could a better ecosystem exist for a creative person to step in and have access to all the resources they need when they need them, right? To have access to the actual strategies for what it looks like to build a profitable business around your passion. And could they have access to a like-minded group of people and a community of people to, to support you as you grow? And for me, I felt like, you know, there was no place in the city for people like me. So it was all right, I either run away to another city and, and you know, fulfill that narrative or we stop and we do the work to build the system here. You know, so we chose to do that. And what that's become over the last five, six years, we like to think of it as like a gym membership for artists. Oh, I like right. That. 
So again, you go to the gym because, you know, they have the, the physical tools there, like the, the treadmills and the weights, right? So you can achieve your fitness goals. You also go to the gym because there's probably going to be people there who know a little bit more about what exercise routines should you do to achieve those goals, right? And motivate you as well. Right. And that's mm -hmm. the third part. Like, and people don't always talk about that, about the gym. It's like the hardest part of going to the gym is just getting there. Yeah. But once you're there and you see somebody putting up 300. Or you're looking at the body that you want. Exactly, like, right? Yeah, 20 more minutes. Right? You know? I ain't going front of it. I see the shorty over there. I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I can't quit on this set now, you know? <laughs> right. But it's that social accountability. So for me, it was, yo, how do we bring those elements to creativity? right? Because we're just as competitive sometimes as creators, right? Mm -hmm. But we need access to those tools. We need access to the strategy and we need that social accountability. Um, and again, as a nerd who studied economics back in 2013, 14, I'm watching Uber, you know, build their business and I'm watching Airbnb build their business. And these are companies who literally use resource sharing to connect people that needed something with the people who had what they needed at that moment, right? So when you think about Uber, they became the fastest growing transportation company and didn't need to own any cars to do it, right? Airbnb, destroying the hospitality industry and they don't own any property. Yeah, I never thought about it. That. Right? So if you apply that to entertainment, it's like, well, at what point can we help artists grow without needing to feel like we have to own the artists and their masters? So that's kind of where I was thinking and I'm like, well, what can we build to provide that space? So now here in, in Philly, we have this 10,000 square foot creative space with 14 private studios, recording studios, photo studios, podcast studios. We got the co-working space for people to just pull up and get work done and connect. We have a music venue in partnership with Live Nation. We've got the retail store, but all of these things are all here specifically to make it simpler for creative people to make money doing what they love to do. It's like a one-stop shop. And if exactly. anyone's ever in Philly, you gotta check them out. The love, we are here. You have to check them out. With that, it's like you built this creative community, yep. which I love to see. But how do we intertwine culture with community? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a brilliant question. And I think the third part I'd also want to make sure we put in there is economics, right? And I'm really optimistic because what I'm seeing now, you know, within culture and like to the pop culture level, folks are talking about ownership and equity more, right? And like, rest in peace, Nipsey Hussle, who is just an incredible, just like, icon man and i and I, I really wish he was still here with us i, I also have that tattooed prolific just yeah I remember every morning when i see it that's like, fire i gotta live like nipsey i gotta be prolific. yeah that's a good joint in my living room in my crib i have a nipsey poster and it's just oh. like that's the energy but you know people like nipsey and people like ryan leslie and people like kanye now even you know <laughs> tweeting out his whole universal contract you know they're making sure that people are understanding this concept of like what does it look like for black ownership you know um so like that's just that's the important thing and i think for us to do what you're asking is how do we make that cool you know what i'm saying because like in school they wasn't teaching it and if they was it was super dry but it's like how do the people who are really out here carrying it the people that the youth are looking up to how do we make sure that they're out here doing the right things so that way the young people is cooler to be a business owner than it is to be a drug addict you know what I'm saying? And honestly, I feel like we've seen that. It went from, you know, when I was younger watching State Prop, it was like, all right, we look up to the hustlers. Mm -hmm. And now it's like this next wave of kids, they're looking up to the 
drug de- drug doers, right? Mm-hmm. The, dr- the, 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 the fiends, for lack of a better word. And I hate using that word, right? But now I feel like we're getting to a place where like young cats are looking up to people who own businesses. So I think it's just, you know, culture has to be represented and it's like a reflection of itself. So as we see more people like Tyler Perry, as we see more artists, you know, that are stepping up and talking about the importance and they can see it on a high level, I think the culture is just going to embrace that. But I'm hopeful that we'll have this almost like, I think that I'll put it this way. I think there's a consciousness shift happening right now, right? Where folks are waking up to the reasons why we need all this. And I think for me with REC, REC was really built as this vehicle to, to drive this perspective shift from artist to creative entrepreneur. You know what I'm saying? Because it's one thing to be an artist and be like, yo, I create for me and this is what heals me and et cetera. But to be a real professional to say, I want to do this as a livelihood, you got to put on that creative entrepreneurship hat. And when I think more of us as people of color understand that magic we have to literally create something out of nothing and say, all right, cool, I'm going to operate like a business and I'm going to move in that way. It's a wrap. I like how you said it's like a mindset shift. Mm -hmm. And to be an entrepreneur, you have to have a strong a strong yes, mostly mindset. mental yep with that and being that you're you know basically inspiring the youth you're being mm-hmm. an example in the city you're having a space in the city that the city's never seen before so you're making those waves what is your mental health self-care routine look like what does your Sheesh. journey look like like yeah. how do you maintain and continue every day you're doing a lot <laughs> thank you <laughs> um yeah that's a good question because like you know, on the outside looking in, especially when you're in my line of work where you're curating events and you're hanging out with artists and you're doing all the cool things, you don't always get to peek under the hood to see like, what does that day-to-day look like? Um, but for me, you know, it's been a long journey of, you know, mental health and really figuring it all out. Like, you know, especially for, for me being from, you know, the inner city here, my family's from Germantown here in Philly. So like growing up, I saw a lot, you know what I mean? We see early death. We see, you know, I, I got a, a dad who's doing a 30 to 60 right now. You know what I'm saying? Like I've seen people in my family battling drug addiction. So there's so much there, right? That at some point you gotta unpack. And for me, when I started my journey, even doing like therapy, like that changed my game. When did you start, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, no problem. So uh, my therapy journey started, if it's 2020 now, about two and a half years ago. Oh, same as mine. Word. <laughs> yeah. And um, before that, it was all just, I was grinding off muscle. You know what I mean? It was, I believed in that never not working attitude. Sleep when you're dead. Sleep when you're dead, no days off. And like, I really believe that was the way, right? Which is so damaging and toxic because it's like, as people of color, we also, we have that mentality, but we also have that, I have to be excellent just mm-hmm. to just to get by, right? We can't be mediocre. Mm-hmm. So when you compare those two things, it's like, how do I be excellent all day, every day, and never sleep? Like, it don't That's add up, hard. right? And it's not sustainable. So for me, I just would try to get there off brute force, but then eventually I'm like, yo, these things are really just coping strategies and like survival tactics that I built to survive. But at a certain point, those those habits and traits are not going to serve me when it's time to really thrive, you know, and be my best self. So I had to take a step back and say, no, like I got to do I get to do this work. So, you know, that that was an introduction to therapy for me. And that was super dope. And then there's been a lot of other um, things in place of therapy that I've done that have also really opened my eyes to the fact that everything you need, you already have. 
It's just how do you start to break away all of the layers that you develop to survive and really understand them, to unlearn them so you can set yourself up to be the best you. Um, But I'll say all that to say, now I realize how important that is to me. So mindfulness is a big part of my life. I'm meditating every single day. I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible every day. You know what I mean? I'm doing the physical fitness. I'm running as often as I can because that mind, body, spirit thing is real. Like Mm -hmm. you can't forget one of them and expect to be your best self. So for me, I'm really learning that, yo, we get to design the routines that we know serve us. And if we really sink into that and and obey it, we won't be stopped. I love that. I really love that. That was dope. Um, It was like the holy trifecta. (laughs) That's real. How do you stand comfortable in your skin and like tell other black men like, yeah, I'm in therapy or today in therapy. Like how do you just drop it so casually? I mean, that's just doing the work. Right. Like, you know, and I'll be the first to say one of the things that I learned in therapy um, was just who I am and how I've grown up from what I've experienced. I used to have this racket of like being a people pleaser. Right. I used to care so much. Right. About what people thought. And I would go out of my way to make other people feel comfortable. And, you know, I used to brag about that and almost and um I don't know if you know the term code switching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, Do I? I code switch with the best of them, right? But really I learned that those are all just strategies that I designed to survive, right? And you know, some of that is is okay, but at the end of the day, like you gotta put yourself first, mm-hmm. right? And you have to have that confidence in you. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's not an easy thing, but over time you just develop like, yo, some people gonna fuck with me and some people not. And at the end of the day, like the people don't fuck with me, that's on them, right? It ain't got nothing to do with me. You know, most times people projecting or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's for black men, you know, because we're all conditioned to be like, oh, yeah, like. The word conditioned. Right. We're conditioned to think you got to be hard all the time, this and that. Black men don't cry, all that type of Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, But also even for black women, too, because. We have to be strong. Right. We're always resilient. Right. Even tweeted this year. I'm tired of being strong. Don't nobody come over here looking for no strong black women. Facts, right? Just breaking down. You know what I mean? Can we be human? Right. But even like, for example, I went on a date the other night, a first date, you know, single out here, figuring it out. It's very hard. Right. (laughs) And it was funny, somehow uh, therapy came up and uh, the young lady was like, who made you do that? And I was like, me? Like, right? But, you know, but again, it's just something that like we've been taught that like, oh, yeah, like you got to be sick to do that. But it's like, yo, if you're going to go to the drainer and and take care of your body, why would you not find an expert to take care of your mind? Right. I love how you brought up therapy on a first date. I'm just going to like mm-hmm. do that now. Move you got to do that, yo. And watch the body language. And if they tense up, I'm like, okay, no, he's not healed enough for yeah, me. Yeah, I'm saying, yo, what, what are your love languages? Are you in therapy? Just get right to it. <laughs> Forget the what do you do? Right. That's, where do you see yourself in five years? That's secondary. What is your love languages? Do you know your love languages? It right. should be the first one. Uh-huh. Then what are yours? Mm-hmm. And are you in therapy? <laughs> then talk. I love that. Thanks. Thank you so much for sitting down and dropping a lot of gems and hella knowledge today. Appreciate no you. This has been fun. Thanks for having me. No, I appreciate that. Now, here's my favorite question to ask. Okay. Uh-oh. Three songs that you listen to to get you in a mood, out of a mood, angry, happy. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, it's the hardest one. What mood are we talking about? Like, (laughs) you could throw one out that whenever you feel sad, mad, happy, you want to celebrate because you just had another win. Okay, man, this is this is such a great question. Like, music is 
everything yeah straight up no there's a lot going through your head right now and i'm a nerd too so like i i love to build routines and and like habits so like i listen to the same music every day when i wake up like i have a morning playlist that like just gets me in the right place for the day um so one of those records i'll throw out that's on that playlist is um never would have made it you know what I'm saying? And it's I fun to that song. Yo, that's a good job, right? You're not stopping when that come on. Exactly. I'm like, you know? with tears coming down my face because I can't stop. Yeah. And it's funny because I'll start with uh, the Marvin Sapp version, but then it goes into the Tiana Taylor version, mm. the new John. Yeah. So those Johns. Um, another John that I, I think I play just in moments of gratitude where I really want to be in that space. Russ has a song called um, Manifest. Yeah, and that's a beautiful record. Um, and it's just talking about that power of just, you know, manifesting things into reality. And I think that's important to remember that we have that power as creators. Um, you know, what other, what other Johns? I mean, I'm not going to front, you know. Uh, that new Brent Fias John is on repeat OD right now. That's a whole different vibe. Um, He's got to be the next one up. Like, you feel me? Um, what's the name of that John? Uh, Dead man walking, yeah. So when when you know after work is done, you know you gotta you know get that other energy. That that dead man walking is a vibe. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my energy though. From the Marvin Sapp to Russ to you know Brent Fires. That's kind it's of the space. Almost like your full day. Real talk. You wake up in the morning, uh, in the morning, your midday, and you end the day. Straight up. That's a good good pick. Straight good up. Pick. And lastly, what message would you leave the youth with? It has to be different than your earlier. Okay, I was going to ask, what message would I leave the youth with? All right, so I'll give a similar one, but different. Um, you can. I just think it's so important for us to know that we can, and that's with anything. Like, you know, I grew up, you know, in a way where, you know, no one in my family, you know, was an entrepreneur. No one built a startup, you know, um, or even a business in general. Um, so I think, you know, this whole thing is designed for us to feel like we can't or we don't have what we need to, to win. Um, so I just want to, you know, throw it out there for any young black man or, or woman who's out there. You can and you already have everything you need. Uh, just understand that independent doesn't mean alone so you don't got to be out here and be like oh i'm on my grind so I, it's me by myself doing this doing that it's like yo that's important you know find your tribe as early as you can with folks who truly are like-minded that believe what you believe that complement your skill set right mm -hmm. do the work to find the self-awareness to know what you're good at and what you're not surround yourself with people who complement you and y'all make each other better and just go full force with the expectation of success Come on, expectation of success. <laughs> drop. That's it. And with that, I want to thank you for tuning in and watching yet another episode of Black Men Cry 2. As always, you can follow us on YouTube as well as IGTV at Black Men Cry 2, T-O-O. -O. Thank you for tuning in. Yeah. Peace.